He made a mighty nation from the seed of Abraham. Good morning. I This is Jonathan Dunn. And uh, Jonathan has been with us for a period of, uh, I'd say, about 11 years. And uh, Amen. he is not only a, a teacher, but also uh, solve problems and do all kinds of things for us. So, John, we want to thank you. Uh, I'll probably pay lunch for you today. Well, thank you, Rick. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you in advance for and, lunch. <laughs> uh, and uh, thank you for sharing all these years and blessing us at RBM. John is married to Tara. Mm-hmm. And they have three children, uh, Jason, Jace, Ellis, and Liana. And they're precious children, just uh, good-looking children. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, uh, uh, John, uh, what is your hobby, John? What do you do to sort of relax? Well, my main hobby is just uh, playing, the, playing the guitar and, and singing worship songs. You can ask my kids if. If I disappear somewhere, I probably probably went into my little closet to to learn a new song or something like that. You don't, like you don't that. watch cowboy movies, things like that. No, I don't watch guy. No, I watch basketball. You I watch do. some football, some sports, but yeah, you know, yeah. Well, my hobby these days is eat. <laughs> yeah, I can join you in that hobby. We can. We can. <laughs> Amen. We're covering the Book of Acts, and I hope that you guys are enjoying the studies. On Acts, we're on chapter uh, 18 and 19, and uh, it's a lot of activity as we study uh, the book of Acts. And I hope that you're enjoying. By the way, let us know through the internet. Send us lotterain.com, rbm at lotterain.com, uh, some type of uh, 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 letting us know that you're listening, mm-hmm. that you enjoy Please. it, yeah. and that we're getting to you. There's a, the numbers are large numbers, and and we're in about 90 countries all over the world. The Lord bless you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Rick, for that word of encouragement. And uh, I'll tell you, if if you ever want to eat well, just submit an application of employment at Rick Bonfin Ministries. And uh, I can promise you, you'll, you'll eat well. Uh, Pastor Rick blesses us uh, with lunch for no reason all the time. So thank you, Pastor Rick, for your leadership and uh, just encouragement. We're uh, looking here at Acts chapter 18, and we're going to finish up chapter 18 this morning. So I hope you've enjoyed this book of Acts. Hope you've been listening as we go through it. All of the teachings are available in our archives. If you're, if you're on our website right now, right underneath the video window for the morning Bible study is a little link that says click here for our archives. If you click there, you'll see all of the You'll see all the teachings, uh, hundreds of teachings, actually, hundreds and hundreds of teachings, but you can go back and listen uh, to, the, to the ones about the book of, through the book of Acts, and uh, we encourage you to do that. We also have all kinds of series. We have a series on faith that stands in tough times by uh, Dr. David Ford. We have a series on the prophetic by uh, Pastor Rick and a series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit by Pastor Rick. Uh, we have a series um, by Dr. Pam Morrison. We have a series on uh, uh, following in the footsteps of Jesus by our own Betty McKinney. Uh, we have a series on the I Am Sayings of Jesus by Pastor Frank Appel. 
Lots of other series there as well. David Nutter, R. Drucker Miller, uh, Cindy Fain. We have some of the best Bible teachers in the world. I can promise you that. And I've been blessed. And that's coming from a guy who spent four years in seminary. The Bible teachers, I've learned a, a lot from these people. And I'm grateful that I've got to be a part of it. Uh, so let's, let's, uh, let's continue here with the book of Acts, chapter 18. This is going to be 18 to 28. This is an interesting passage of Scripture because Luke here, he, he kind of, it, it's, a, it's really a transition type of passage in the gospel, or not the gospel, in the, in the book of Acts. It, it's a section where Luke sort of just creates a lot of transitions. And you've got to remember that he's writing to this guy, Theophilus. Okay, we can't forget that he addresses the entire book to this, this man, Theophilus. And, and he's essentially explaining to him, um, you know, how this all took place. How in the world did, the, how did Paul end up in Rome in prison? How, you know, what's going on with this Holy Spirit thing? How did the Gentiles suddenly come into the fold? You know, what, how did all this happen? And so, you know, Luke sort of has to, 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 to give some detail, and then suddenly he'll sort of like fast-forward the scene. And this is sort of a fast-forward type of scene, so it might seem a little choppy, but it's because Luke is just trying to get to the next, next part here. Um, but if we take a look at it, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll come up with some nuggets of gold. Amen? All right, so, so let's look at Acts 18. 18 to 21 first. So after this, Paul stayed many days longer, okay, with Priscilla and Aquila, that is, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. Um, at Sincrea, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. Now, what a strange comment to suddenly just drop in there with no explanation, right? And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. So here we have Paul, who actually, it says, if you, if you heard Pastor Randy DeGroote on Monday morning teach, we learned that he stayed a year and a half in Corinth with uh, Priscilla and Aquila, who were... Um, who had to leave Rome because of uh, Claudius's uh, decree that all the Jews had to leave. So they find themselves there in Corinth, and, and, and when Paul comes there, he meets them, they're tent makers, so he ends up staying with them for a year and a half. So suddenly, in the middle of a bunch of movement, Paul's just there. And then it says that he, he, he stayed longer with them. But then, after a time, suddenly, it's just... Movement, right? He goes to Ephesus. Then he's going to go, you know, eventually to Jerusalem. Then to Antioch. Then on the third missionary journey. I mean, just bam, bam, bam in just a matter of verses. Okay, so we go from no movement, just lots of movement. He's in Corinth for a long time and suddenly he's just moving around. And it all seems to sit around this idea of Paul having a vow, some sort of vow, and suddenly he needs to get to Jerusalem it, by any means possible, right? Um, he's sort of driven to do this. And so, what's going on here, right? Well, unfortunately, we don't really know. Luke doesn't tell us, okay? 
Now, um, so that leads me to believe that the specifics of the vow are not important, okay, to Luke, that is. He's simply saying that Paul had a personal reason for getting to Jerusalem and that sort of created this whole situation where Priscilla and Aquila ended up in Ephesus and they interact with Apollos, okay, which we're going to get to. And then that's how Apollos ends up in Corinth. And as we know, when we read the book of Corinth, that's what created that whole scenario. And we're going to get to that. Okay, so, so, so Luke is doing something here, but he doesn't want us to get bogged down in Paul's vow. Most likely it had to do with a Nazarite vow. And there's some who say, no, it didn't. But, but it probably did because that specific vow in number 6, if you go to verse 21, it mentions that at the end of the Nazarite vow, okay, you have to go to Jerusalem and you have to offer all these sacrifices at the temple and then you have to, you're not allowed to cut your hair for the length of the vow, which it could have been a number of years. It doesn't say specifically. And then at the end of it, you have to cut your hair and you have to burn your hair on the altar with the sacrifices. Yeah. And that was that, that marked the end of the vow. So, it was either the Nazarite vow or some sort of something along those lines. And we don't really know why Paul did it or what his purpose was. But he had some sort of commitment to the Lord that he, he was going to fulfill uh, by any means possible. And uh, so whatever the specifics of the vow, it was a personal situation in Paul's life, and it affected the transition in the ministry. Okay? So, so that's what Paul's... That, that, I don't want to spend too much time there, because honestly, Luke doesn't spend time on it. So I don't want to get bogged down on that, because I think Luke is trying to get us to a different point here. Okay? So Paul ends up in Ephesus, right? And so in Ephesus, he reasoned with the Jews. Now... He just said in Corinth that he was done with the Jews. And then he's going to the Gentiles. So we see here that Paul has not totally given up on the Jews. Um, but, uh, but he's not going to waste his time with them anymore. I think is kind of where he's at. Right? Um, so he stays with them for a time. And then he moves on to Jerusalem. But who's highlighted here is Priscilla and Aquila. He leaves them there in Ephesus. And this is interesting because they actually... Now, Luke could have... I was thinking about this. Luke could have just left out Priscilla and Aquila and just said Paul went to Jerusalem. But for some reason, it's important to Luke to highlight the fact that this couple ended up in Ephesus. And that they became leaders in the church there. And so I started to ask the question of, why is Luke highlighting this couple? You know, what, what, what's going on? And so I came up with a few ideas here. Why is Luke saying, highlighting Priscilla and Aquila in, in Ephesus? Well, here's one reason. The ministry is now larger than Paul is able to maintain. We already saw that God brought Timothy. And we see other leaders in Corinth that came up in, uh, earlier in chapter 18. And now in Ephesus, Paul realizes that this, he's going to have to train and disciple and equip leaders if these churches are going to be able to thrive 
and be healthy. He, he, he can't do it all. This ministry is way bigger than he is. And so he has this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. He spent almost two years with them. And so now he has to entrust this young church to this couple. And um, now that's, that's kind of a scary thing. Um, you know, it sets the stage for them to become church leaders. And that's, that could be a scary thing for somebody who's, a, who's establishing a ministry because suddenly, you know, they're there and Paul's not and he has to trust that they're going to make good decisions. And that, that could be a really scary thing. I mean, Paul, Paul is there and he's desperately, I mean, look at what he's doing. He's going all over the place trying to plant these churches and then he has to write all these letters to them to try to clean up the mess, Right? I mean, Paul has just got to be beside himself with all of the problems that are coming up in these churches. And he's got to trust that Priscilla and Quilla are going, to, are going to do the right thing. There's no internet and there's no telephones. They can't call him up and ask what to do. They're going to have to do it. And Paul's going to have to trust that they can make a good decision. Probably a, probably a little bit nerve-wracking for Paul because, uh, you know... Uh, what if they do something that he wouldn't have done? You know, how's Paul going to respond to that? And as we find out, he has to write a bunch of letters to try to, to clean some stuff up. But, but he has to, and that's one of the difficult things in ministry, is usually ministry, successful ministries, get to a point to where you have to equip people to take on a role and trust them to perform in that role because the ministry is so large, you can't just be there making sure they do it exactly right every time. So, of note, Priscilla is listed four out of six times before Aquila in this. In the six, okay, let me say that again. Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned six times in the New Testament. Four out of those six times, Priscilla is mentioned first. The wife. Instead of which is opposite of the way it usually would be. And actually, most of the times the wife wouldn't even be mentioned, right? I mean, that's really, you know, the woman would just not even be mentioned. It would be Aquila only that's mentioned and his family with him, you know, or something like that. So, so Luke, so he, Luke is a smart guy. He's no fool. So he is intentionally saying Priscilla in this passage before Aquila. And so... I think that he's doing that on purpose because I think Priscilla becomes a very significant female leader in the Ephesian church, in the Christian community. And Paul, uh, Luke is highlighting that. The Priscilla is a strong leader. And this is one of the classic passages. Those of us who affirm women pastors, those of us who believe that women in leadership is, is biblical, um, we, we, we reference this passage. Look, Priscilla was a leader. It's obvious that she was a co-leader along with Aquila. She was there teaching. She was there leading people. Okay, so, so that's why I, those, are the, those are the reasons I think that Luke is highlighting or pointing out the fact that Priscilla and Aquila stay in Ephesus. Just, just three little reasons. So I, and, and I took a minute to look at those passages or to look at that passage where it says here in verse 21, took leave of them in verse 21. 
he took leave of them, them as Priscilla and Aquila, and the church in Ephesus. And he said, I'll return if I can. And he left Ephesus, and he left them there to be leaders. Verse 21. So now we're in verse 22. Okay. Now remember, this is sort of a choppy transition section for Luke. Okay. Because he's, Luke is trying to get to the third missionary journey, and he's just trying to give these short snippets to, to explain how the third missionary journey took place. Um, so in verse 22, when he, when he, meaning Paul, had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. Now there, let's stop, because what does that mean? Okay, Jerusalem. Thank you. Betty, Betty knows. He went up. You go up to Jerusalem. And that's just something you have to know from studying and, and, and learning historical stuff and reading some books. When Luke says that he went up, it doesn't mention Jerusalem. Now, we know from the previous verses that he was, go, he was heading to Jerusalem. Now, when Luke says he went up, it means he went to Jerusalem. So there's where he went to Jerusalem, and he greeted the church in Jerusalem. And then went down. Okay, so you go up to Jerusalem, and you go down. Because Jerusalem was elevated, right, Mount Zion. So he went up to Jerusalem, greeted the church, did what he had to do there with his hair, <laughs> burning it on the altar, which I can't imagine the odor. <laughs> you know, if you've ever heard, if you've ever smelled burning hair, it's it's a horrible smell. <laughs> but but you know, that's one of the days when you don't want to be a priest is when somebody's ending their Nazarite vow, right? You want to be a priest when when they when you sacrifice the lamb. You know, and you got some good barbecue. You don't want to be a priest when they're when you're burning hair. So he goes up to Jerusalem, greets the church, does what he needs to do. Then he goes down to Antioch. Now remember, Antioch was where everything happened in the house of Cornelius. Okay, so he hasn't forgotten Antioch. And after spending some time there, it doesn't tell us. Verse 23 marks the beginning of the third missionary journey. Okay, and so that's where we are. I just want you to sort of Framing your mind that we have just ended the second missionary journey and we're beginning the third. And this passage comes so fast that you can kind of miss that. Okay? So Paul ends the second missionary journey by leaving a church plant couple in Ephesus, going to Jerusalem to finish a vow, a little time in Antioch, and then verse 23, after spending some time there, he departed, went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Okay, so that is a typical literary uh, uh, form of presenting a new section of, of the text. And this is going to last all the way through uh, Acts 21.17 will mark the end of the third missionary journey. Okay, so the third missionary journey begins in Acts 20, 18.23. It will go all the, through, all the way through Acts 21.17, when Paul ends up back in Jerusalem, and that's when the whole thing happens where he gets arrested and ends up appealing and going to Rome. And we'll get there. But that's just, I want you to frame in your mind, that's where we are in the book of Acts, because you can get lost in that as, as Luke is just sort of spouting out all these movements here. Okay? Um, and so he gives us a quick summary of the third missionary journey in verse 23. And then he will tell us specifics about what happened, some of the stories that happened. And it will start with Apollos as a part of that, which we're about to get to. 
and then when Paul goes to Ephesus, and then um, on from there, right? He'll give us some specifics. So let's let's go on to um, the part about Apollos. Now, uh, Apollos is mentioned here, um, and it says that Apollos. Oh, I didn't put the scripture. Betty, we hand me my we hand me my Bible. Thank you. Apologize, I I didn't paste that scripture in my in my notes here. So Apollos is mentioned now in verse 24. So we'll go through verse 28 and we'll finish this and and try to set up for for Paul to come to Ephesus in chapter 19. Now a certain Jew named Apollos in Alexandria by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. And he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, meaning Jesus. And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Okay, And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he helped greatly those who had believed through grace. Achaia is actually, he went to Corinth. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. We see uh, that's a the similar phrase to um, Paul is attributed with that idea of proving that Jesus is the Christ through the scriptures. So who is Apollos? So let's look at Apollos real quick and then we'll wrap up. Uh, interesting guy in the New Testament, an, Ale an Alexandrian Jew, meaning he was well-educated, very well-educated. Um, and um, he was called of God. He understood Jesus. But he was lacking a little bit in this understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which, which is the baptism of Jesus. So he knows the baptism of John, which is repentance and faith. But... He was a Baptist, but he but he was unfamiliar with the baptism of Jesus, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he comes to Ephesus and he begins to teach and preach, and and he's very eloquent. He knows the scriptures really well, meaning the Old Testament. I'm sure he referenced Isaiah 53 many times, arguing with the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Okay. But he did not understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the baptism that Jesus talked about. The baptism of Jesus. He didn't understand that baptism. So even though he was very eloquent and he was called of God, he was a little bit lacking in his understanding of how to truly minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, do we know anybody like that these days? <laughs> I see some smiles and some nods in the room here. You know, there's a lot of, as Betty said, really good pastors who know how to take care of people, who know how to love on, on their congregation, but they do not know how to minister to them in the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot of people like Apollos out there ministering. They're called of God. They have a call. No doubt about it. They're great. Theologically sound. Done seminary. 
But they don't know how to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there is something missing because there, there won't be the fruits that they might have hoped for or might want or expect from ministry. Usually what happens to pastors like this is they begin to get discouraged because they're working really hard and they don't see fruit. So I'm really grateful that Luke puts Apollos in here because he rep- Apollos represents so many people, so many church leaders these days who desperately need to know how to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. Their hearts are in the right place, but they, but they haven't experienced yet. They haven't been baptized. They don't know how to pray in tongues. They don't, they don't understand the gifts of the Spirit that Paul mentions. They don't understand word of wisdom. They don't understand word of knowledge. They don't understand uh, discernment of spirits. And so, praise be to God that Apollos is going to meet Priscilla and Aquila who have studied and been taught by Paul for years. And he's about to have his life totally transformed and his ministry as well. So, now, one thing I think that Luke is doing here is he's proving that Paul made a good decision to entrust the Ephesian church to Priscilla and Aquila. It's validating them as church leaders. Okay? Paul wasn't there. He had no knowledge of what was taking place. He didn't know that Apollos was coming there. And suddenly he shows up and Priscilla and Aquila have to deal with it. And they do a good job. Praise God. Um, so, we see here Luke specifically pointing out that Priscilla was a part of of teaching and training Apollos. So, in other words, in other words, I can just, in my mind, picture Priscilla laying her hands on Apollos and saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Apollos just, right there, you know, just, bam, right? He probably had a lot of snot on the floor too. For some reason, that just goes with it. I don't understand that, but it just does. The first time, at least, right? <laughs> a lot of crying, a lot of deliverance. And, and you know Apollos had to be blessed by this meeting with Priscilla and Aquila. Otherwise, he never would have gone to Corinth. He would have stopped. He would have, it would have derailed everything. But man, you know, you know Apollos got zapped. I mean, you know he did. His heart was in the right place already. He was hungry. He wanted to be used by God. And... Man, you know this man got blessed. You can be blessed too. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if it's just say this from me, from with me. If it's if it's from God, I want it. I mean, why would you want something that's from God? It's got to be good. It's got to be holy. It's got to bless your life. So why are you going to reject something that's from God? If God says it's good, why don't you want it? Get rid of that fear. Who cares what other people think? Amen. You might get fired. Got to give you a better church, a better oh, job. Lord. Let's let Apollos be our example because he meets Priscilla and Aquila and then suddenly he ends up in Corinth and his ministry is so powerful in Corinth that it actually creates a faction. Right? Now we learned that from 1 Corinthians and I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, because when Apollos goes to Corinth, he now is anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit, and his ministry there is so powerful that it starts to inadvertently, and actually I think Apollos was deeply grieved by this, 
but it starts to create division. Because some started to say that they would follow Apollos, and then some said they were going to follow Paul, and then some said they were going to follow Peter. It started to create a division. And they were totally confused. So that's how I know that Apollos got zapped. I mean, he went to Corinth and he started to let them have it. And they took it in, and he, he got such a, a following that they were confused and thought that they had to be committed to Apollos the person. So Paul had to write this in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Then he says down here in verse 4, When one of you says, I am a follower of a Paul, or another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Skipping down to verse 21, so don't boast about following a particular human leader. This is not King James. Don't boast about following a particular human leader. For everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or the present and the future. He's trying to help him give some perspective. Okay? One of the major pitfalls in ministry still today is is ministers working on top of each other. Man, I'm running out of time. But, now, I, I think that this deeply grieved Paul and Apollos. Today, there's estimated over 400,000 full-time, full-time missionaries serving in other countries. Over a million home missionaries. 5.5 million full-time Christian workers in the world. You know, there's, there's always the danger that people will begin to take one over the other. So what's the lesson here? It's tempting as a pastor to be, to make, to be the center. It's tempting as a pastor, as a missionary, as an evangelist to be the central figure. But I want you to know when I travel with Pastor Rick, Many times after a ministry event, I'll be looking for him and he's already at the car waiting to leave. And why does he do that? Because he knows as an evangelist that he can't take the place of a pastor. I've learned that. I've learned that. You have to know where you, where you fit in the leadership role and God won't bless you if you try to, to assume the leadership role of somebody else's leadership. You'll never be blessed. And so, I want to challenge you pastors that your church not say, I follow Pastor so-and-so, but say, I follow Jesus and Pastor so-and-so helps me follow Jesus. That's really what Paul is saying. Because if you become the central figure, then uh, Jesus diminishes and you increase. And that's a terrible place to be. And God can't bless your ministry. Um, 
Well, I had one more point, but I don't have time to get to it. But Pastor Rick will, Pastor Rick will get into that because really here we see that Luke once again is, is, is establishing the fact one of the essential truths of the New Testament is that the work of salvation through repentance of faith is a work of the Holy Spirit, but there is another work of the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Spirit which empowers the believer to live the Christian life. Thank you for listening this morning, and we'll continue listening. That's some good Bible studies coming up right here at 9.30, and then we'll see you again tomorrow morning to continue our study of the book of Acts. Have a great day. And let them through the wilderness into the promised land. In boundless love and mercy, He gave His only Son, who became the sacrifice for everyone. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. To every generation, He gives the joy of His